Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Alexis the Midwife. And I'm Becky the Doula. Welcome to our first episode of our three-part special focusing on guests sharing their positive birth stories during the pandemic. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us over on Instagram. We are delighted that we have a fantastic partnership this season with Sophie Le Giraffe, especially because this year is Sophie's 60th birthday. Amazing. And we have some exciting things lined up in Sophie's honour across this season, including a special birthday celebration episode. There is so much love out there for Sophie, isn't there? She's just perfect for your little ones to grip and chew at the first signs of teething. Yeah, she really does help. And if you pop her in the fridge, it makes it nice and cool, so it soothes their hot gums too. If you want to see the full range of Sophie Le Giraffe products, head over to sophielegiraffe.co.uk. In the meantime, pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy, and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box. Today we are joined by Emma Owen-Jones. Emma discovered she was pregnant at the start of the first lockdown and as a teacher had spent her pregnancy working from home. Today she talks to us about her positive planned C-section and what it was like to become a mother during lockdown. Emma, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. That's all right. (laughs) Can we scoot right back to the beginning of everything, this crazy year that's happened to everybody, and go back to you finding out you were pregnant and then that first 12 weeks, that first trimester up until the scan that you had, the very first 12-week scan, I would assume probably your partner wasn't able to attend that with you. No. And give us a little bit of information as to how that time felt for you and what was going on. It was really bizarre because obviously I found out that I was pregnant in the, it was literally two weeks into the first lockdown. Um, So the way that my school was working, we had like a two-week rotor where you did three days over two weeks Um, So I did my three days and then I think it was the second week that I then found out that I was pregnant. So I was at home anyway, working Mm. from home. But then I'm I'm originally from Essex. I'm now living in Nottingham and all of my family still live down in Essex. So not being able to tell anybody in person was obviously, you know, strange in itself. But because of the nature of being at school and very little was known about COVID at this point. Mm. Um, So the advice at that point was if you were pregnant to work from home. So the first person that I told I was pregnant was my head teacher, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is just really strange. I mean, luckily he's a really good friend. So, you know, it was, it was actually kind of nice in a sense. So yeah, you know, telling him and then having to work from home, but then what was kind of 
gut-wrenching was that you know because I've obviously it was my first pregnancy and you know you kind of think about how you how you picture telling people and Mm. it just so wasn't how I pictured telling anyone like I told told my head teacher first over the phone which is just you know weird and then you know having to tell my parents over FaceTime but then I think the thing that made me really sad was the fact that because I then had to be taken off the rotor and because I was off the rotor you know people kind of assumed that you know people got taken off because they had to isolate or you know something like that quite regularly but it was normally only for you know however long I think it was two weeks at the time it changed between 10 days and two weeks didn't it Mm. um so it was two weeks or something but then I was then off for about six weeks before I was then because I didn't want to tell people until I was 12 Mm. weeks and um it then meant that everyone guessed so it kind of got taken away from me a bit because you know I I remember one of the girls that I work with texted me you know when it when it was officially I was pregnant and she was like I'm really relieved that you're pregnant because it was either you were pregnant or you were really really ill so I was quite glad that (laughs) you were pregnant at least so um, everyone's speculating and working it out while you're not there yeah yeah so it was kind of a shame really because it kind of took away from it because you have this idea of like telling everyone Mm. especially because I think no one would have thought that I you know I was very you know babies scare me a lot uh (laughs) so I think I don't think anyone was expecting me to be pregnant so it would have been this really big like nice surprise like oh I'm pregnant whereas instead it was like oh yeah we we realized yeah we guessed so it's a bit of a shame but at the end of the day, I was I was happy and healthy, so it was mm. the main thing. But yeah, and then the twelve week scan on my own was. I'm not too much of a kind of. I don't tend to get scared about medical type of stuff. I mm. kind of just put my faith in the NHS and just assume that they all know what they're doing. And you know, whereas when it came to that first scan, I was terrified. I was. I think I was. And I didn't have morning sickness at all. But I was sick the morning of the scan because I was just so anxious. I was convinced that I just made it all up because you don't mm. see really anyone until that 12 week scan. No. I think I had a midwife appointment just before, I think. A booking appointment where they take all of your history. Yeah. Well, my book, my booking appointment was on the phone. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that's normal. I've no idea. So I've got nothing to compare it to. That wouldn't happen if it wasn't a pandemic. That is no. absolutely you would. It, that would have been face to face. Yeah, yeah, so that was on the phone. And I think I did have one appointment before the scan, I think. Um, but it wasn't that very first one. And yeah, and then I went to the scan and I was convinced, I think because I'd not spoken to anyone for so long uh, in terms of like, you know, medically, mm. I was convinced that I wasn't going to be pregnant and they were going to be like, yeah, no, sorry, you you actually weren't. You know, it was just like a false positive mm. or whatever. I was convinced that there wasn't going to be anything there. So I felt this genuine surprise when he did the scan and he was like, oh yeah, there's a baby. I was like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. But yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm quite fortunate really because that sort of thing, I kind of just you know, suck it up and go on my, you know, I don't like blood tests or anything like that, Mm. you know, so I've always just been the sort of, you know, you just have to, you know, get on with it. But I I think, you know, there must be some people where they've had to go to that 12 weeks down on their own. And I was scared enough, whereas I think it must've been really awful for some people, especially if they, if, you know, like I was kind of prepared if people did get bad news, like I was kind Mm. of expecting them to be like, no, you weren't, you're not pregnant. So I think it must be really awful that some people had to do that as well. So I kind of think myself lucky that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. This has been a huge discussion in maternity services from, you know, March last year was weighing up the risks and the benefits and looking at what happens, you know, what the effect is on not having a partner there with you, Mm. um, whether it be the baby's other parent or, uh, you know, a support person, Mm. just somebody to hold your hand. And also, 
Becky and I both had babies ourselves and there's something like you go to that first scan and like you say up until that point especially if you don't have symptoms you're not really quite sure whether it's mm. kind of all all a figment of your imagination and then you go and you see that little jelly bean up there on the screen yeah. having a wiggle around and it's just a magical moment and mm. there's no denying that something has been lost for for people not being able to have a support person there with mm. them in that moment to just go oh my goodness look at that um, Definitely. And, and I and think we, if you are yeah. in a couple, I think it's important for the partner as well, because mm. we can feel the changes happening physically inside us. Sometimes if you have the sickness and, you know, you have the, the sort of weird abdominal bloating or whatever. But if you're a partner, I think that scan is the first time that you fully realise that you are actually, you know, having a baby. And that, that can be quite an important process. Did you get to film it or anything, no. Emma? No. no, you're not allowed really no I mean I didn't ask mostly mm. because there were signs up everywhere saying you know, right okay that you're not allowed so I just sort of thought well I don't want to you know it, it's difficult isn't it it's finding that balance between understanding that they're doing it for a reason yeah. mm. and I know that there would have been so many people that would have been really annoyed by it but my main thing was I just sort of had to you just have to think look there's bigger things going on yeah, yeah it's it's really tough for me but I get why I, I think my main thing was that I just felt really bad for Chris missing out mm. on all of that you know we mm. we actually we were quite fortunate we were able to pay for a private scan um really? for the just before the 20 week scan so he was able to come to that one because I didn't we were wanting to find out the gender and the, again there were signs up everywhere saying that if you wanted to find out the gender they they wouldn't write it down for you they would only tell the mother there and then so and this was a, yeah, the 12 week scan. So I was then, you know, prepared for that when it came to the 20 week one. I thought, I don't want to find out on my own, no. um, yeah. especially because I was desperate for a girl. So I was like, <laughs> if I find out if it's a boy, then I don't want to sit here and cry on my own because that's really embarrassing. <laughs> They're going to think I'm an awful person. And it was a boy. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I was quite glad that, you know, we were able to go to that one together at least. But I, I kind of forgot when it came to the second one, uh, the, the private one, sorry, that Chris hadn't seen it before. So he was just in this proper... You you know like mm. amazement like oh, it's you know he's it's that's like a proper baby like that's insane yeah. and I kind of forgot and I was just like oh yeah you've not seen this so and then, you know it's just a shame that he missed out on that and then typically the thing that I had to really remind myself that you know we were lucky that you know we paid for the private one mm. and things like that and you know you have to kind of keep telling yourself look there's lots of positives you have to be you know put your positive pants on but when it came to our 20 week scan again I was on my own and then I think it was about two weeks later that they then changed it so that you could have partners at your 12 and mm -hmm. 20 week scans and obviously I'd then missed that and then because he was measuring big um it later turned out that I ended up I had gestational diabetes further on down the line mm -hmm. which was a whole load of fun in itself um but it meant that I then had to have lots of growth scans, but you weren't allowed partners at growth scans. So I still couldn't have Chris there. So it was just like every step of the yeah. way. I was like, how does it, how do I keep missing this? Yeah. So, mm. yeah. It's so tricky, isn't it? And I think, how, how did you find the support from the healthcare team that you were under? Because obviously, Alexis and I both work with women at hospitals and we've got colleagues there and, and you know, we've seen people going sort of, above and beyond and they're trying to compensate mm. you know they feel terrible that all the situation is going on and they're doing the best did you feel well looked after it kind of varied depending yeah. on I mean when it came to the actual birth they were incredible there was this one midwife who I genuinely told I wanted to take her home because she was just <laughs> the best person ever I actually love her 
And she was just amazing. And, you know, there were loads of other midwives that were just fantastic. But then kind of, I think it's difficult because you don't know what you've kind of got to compare it to. I mean, all the kind of scans and stuff, it kind of depends because I had quite a few scans. Um, It kind of depended on, you know, sometimes you get someone that's really friendly and lovely and sometimes you get someone that's, you know, just there getting the job done and wants to get rid of you, which is, you know, understandable because everyone's really busy. But, you know, like I kind of found that, um, again, some people when I had lots of diabetes checkups and sometimes I'd be sat there waiting for like two hours after my appointment time to, to go in and you sort of, you know, you're sat there thinking, oh, okay, I'm trying to be understand, you know, understanding that, you know, everyone's busy and, but, you know, I, I can't, I, I need to test my bloods. I, there was, I think mm. two times that I went to the hospital for diabetes checkups, the appointment was so late and because it was just an awful time wise, it then meant that I, the, I ended up having a hypo um, and having to go to the cafe and go and get something with sugar. And that was the only times that I had hypos was when the appointment was so late at the hospital. Um, and, you know, you, you, you kind of have to say, right, okay, I get it. But like one of those times they were like, oh, sorry, the last person was late. And I was like, well, I've been sat here for two hours yeah. and I've not mm. seen anyone go in or out of that room. So I don't think that's true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it kind of varied. But like some people were brilliant and some people not so much but you know you kind of just roll with the punches I guess yeah (laughs) yeah but that's harder when you're on your own right because when you're with someone else then you can kind of go oh and you know it's sort of it just makes all those things easier no those those times when it was late I was really glad my husband wasn't there because he would have lost (laughs) his mind he can't he can't cope with lateness and he's quite he's quite short-tempered when it comes to that sort of thing which amazes me because he teaches year one and he's got all the patience in the world for them but when it comes to like me or other people no no patience so I sat there thinking I am really glad that I didn't ask him to drive me because he would have lost his mind by now that was a a slight tiny silver lining that that was a silver lining the fact that I I hadn't even asked him to drive me I was like I'll just go because I'll be I'll be in and out well I was not in and out but it was good that he didn't drive me yeah absolutely you ended up having a planned cesarean section can you talk us through a little bit as to how that came about and what led you to to be a part of that decision making process well it was kind of um complicated really so at my 20 week scan I think it was his tummy was measuring big and so that can be a sign of gestational diabetes although they were convinced they were like no I don't think you've got gestational diabetes because I was I had quite a small it was measuring fine but it didn't look Mm. big in terms of my bump at all and I hardly gained any weight throughout the whole pregnancy I think I gained something like five pounds so it was a you know really wouldn't think that I had gestational diabetes Mm. but they were like oh you know we'll do a growth scan at 36 weeks I think it was later on and then uh, I think I was about 29 weeks and I had a tiny bleed so just went in to go and get checked out and they then everything was fine but they then said oh you know we'll do an extra scan next week um, just to double check and see if we can you know if it's anything to do with the placenta or Mm -hmm. you know whatever just to try and find out why that happened and then at that scan he was still his tummy was still measuring big and so they then did a test to see if I had diabetes and I did and there was just lots of mention of inductions you know sort of from the 20 week scan when they'd said oh you know if he keeps measuring big at the at the you know when you have a checkup at 36 weeks then you know they'd probably just want to induce you and so it was mentioned quite early on and so I then did my research and and spoke to anyone that I knew that had a baby um, and if they'd had an induction. And, you know, it. I think it was pure coincidence because I know that some people do have inductions and they're amazing. 
But I think for me, I just happened to speak to a lot of people that had had inductions and it had either been really painful and really long or it had ended up in emergency C-section. Um, and I think for me, because I get quite anxious anyway about particular any kind of idea, the idea of birth terrifies me. And I just had really had it in my head. I just thought I'm going to be there. It's going to typically, it'll be my luck uh, that I'll be there for mm. days and it'll be really long and really painful. And I'll just be sat there really anxious. And it's just going to, you know, it's like if you're waiting for something that you're scared of, the longer you're almost better off just getting it over and done with. Yeah. Whereas absolutely. I just thought, I know what will happen with me. I'll be sat there waiting for like days and this fear will just build up and I'll just be a wreck. But then obviously because of the restrictions as well, it would have meant that you you couldn't have partners for the induction process. Mm. You can only have partners when you're in active labour. And I just thought, with my luck, I'll be sat there for like three days on my own. Mm. I'm probably exaggerating the three days. Who knows? I don't know. No, <laughs> I knows? mean, but, can, but can it take can a while. Happen. Exactly. <laughs> so I sort of thought, you know, with my luck, it will be days and I'll be sat there on my own. And it will just, I didn't want to start off on a negative. I just thought I need to just start off in the most positive way possible. And so I spoke to people that I knew that had had C-sections. Um, and actually the girl that lives next door to me, she's just had her baby, uh, her second baby, both of which were uh, elective C-sections. And she was like, oh, I loved mine because she's very similar mm. to me, Very was very anxious when it come, came to birth and labour. And she said it was it was brilliant. Um, and I so again, I did my research and sort of, you know, looked into the pros and the cons. And I just thought, you know, I think for me, having that kind of not having to be on my own, because with elective C-sections, your partner can come in with you you know, when you go into the hospital and because I had the gestational diabetes and I was on insulin, I was quite high risk. So I would be early on in the day. So I was that, I was, I ended up actually being the first one. Mm -hmm. So Chris came in with me, was sat with me. Um, and then he was able to stay for about two hours afterwards, um, and then come back for visiting hours. So it just, it, it just seemed the better choice for me in terms like mostly mentally, to be honest, mm, because yeah. I just thought, you know, after all of the stuff that I've taken on the chin, I've done all the scans on my own, I've done all appointments on my own, you know, I just felt like that was that one thing that I thought, actually, I don't want to do mm. this part on my own. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to be sat there th- feeling worried and anxious and start off on this negative. Yeah. And I was so glad that I did because it was such a positive experience. It really mm. was. The The midwives were amazing, just the nicest people. And, and also because I just didn't know what I was doing. So it was nice to just, you know, have someone at the push of a button to come and tell you what on earth to do. Mm. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I stayed overnight. Um, I actually kind of wish I'd stayed a second night because the second night Ollie was awful. He just screamed all night long and would only sleep on one of us. And obviously I was still, you know, drowsy from generally, you know, having someone cut me open the, the day before. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was tough, but oh, I was I was so glad that I had the C-section because it was just amazing. I was so pleased. I, I, th- I just, I, I just know that I just would have ended up having a really long labour. It just would have been typical. I think you look at all the special circumstances, what's going on. And obviously in, yeah. in this particular situation, there was this pandemic as well, mm-hmm. um, the gestational diabetes. And it sounds like you really looked at what the options were mm-hmm. and just inside of yourself, what was going to be, you know, the best option for you and your partner and your baby? Yeah, it just, I, I just knew it was going to be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, the whole way through, I just, I, I knew, I was like, I just, I want to have a C-section. I think the one time when I did break down a bit and 
I think probably the hardest thing of the whole experience was when I had my last checkup and it must have been 36 weeks and I had my last diabetes checkup and I then saw the consultant afterwards and um, I said, you know, I want to have an elective C-section and I completely understand that they need to tell you all of the, you know, possible risks, completely get that. But it didn't feel like it was a balanced thing. You know, it felt like it was this real focus. It, it basically felt like he was trying to put me off mm-hmm. and just trying to tell me that you we don't want you to have one, which was mm-hmm. essentially the, the kind of feeling that I got. He then went and got another consultant to talk to me about it who had a student. So I'm sat there in this room with oh, three people wow none of which are my husband. And again, then I had the whole, you know, the whole spiel again, mm. saying why I shouldn't have it and all these negatives. And I thought, I know, because I've, it's not like I've just clicked my fingers and thought, you know what, mm. I just want a C-section. Because let's be honest, a C-section is not the easy way out. Like it is hard recovery. Mm. Absolutely. And I don't think it's a decision anyone makes lightly, really, no, is it? not you at all. Of, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and, that point I was then sat there in this room with three people and I just cried and I I mean really cried and I just said do you know what I shouldn't be having this discussion on my own I should at least have my husband this isn't fair I shouldn't have to do Mm -hmm. this because I just felt and I know that this wasn't their intention at all but I felt so ganged up on Mm. and it feels really intimidating doesn't it it was really intimidating none of and you know as what as well you got in the back of your head you're just sort of thinking there's three people in this room with Mm. me and yet I've not been allowed to bring my husband because of social distancing. Yeah, And that was the yes. one time, yes. that was the yeah. one time when I thought, you know what, I actually don't agree with this now. I don't see yeah. why he couldn't have come because, you know, and like you, you just, you then start thinking about things, don't you? You just think, no, this isn't, this isn't fair, actually. I shouldn't be doing this on my own. It's, it's, that's not fair. But they, they did then, I think they then realised that they'd they'd pushed it too far and I'd had enough and they were like and we will we will sign off on the c-section I was like yes I know you will because I'm not backing down you will sign off on the c-section because I'm having a c-section whether you like it or not yeah and we are lucky that we do have you know we do have choices and it is our choice to make and I think like you did most women if they get to the point of wanting to have a section is is because they've really thought about it and they've really considered all the different outcomes and what will work best for them and like you say I think particularly that first lockdown was scary we you know we 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 know more now than we did then and it you know we all feel a little bit more kind of in control of it perhaps but I think that one of the things Lex and I always talk about is that fear gets in the way of of your birth a lot of the time you know when your adrenaline's really high and so I know a lot of people who who had the same thing they were like I'm not sure I can get past this this anxiety of you know what's going on everywhere right now and some people have used hypnobirthing and it's worked brilliantly and then other people have gone no do you know what I actually think this is what I want to do and I think it's Mm. great that we we have those options. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
We hope you're enjoying our chat with Emma so far, but now for a little ad break, because Lex and I want to tell you some more about the fabulous Sophie Le Giraffe and why she's so popular with babies all around the world. From the age of three months, Sophie is designed to stimulate each of your little one's senses, the next of which is hearing. Sophie's squeaker keeps your baby amused and that funny sound she makes when she's squeezed really does help to stimulate their hearing. And as the series goes on, we'll be going through all the other senses that make Sophie so special for your little ones, as if we needed more reasons to love her. But right now, let's get back to the second part of our brilliant chat with Emma. The thing that amazed me was talking to people and explaining that I wanted to have a C-section and the amount of people that have had babies themselves that didn't know that that's something that you can do. Mm. The the amount of people that were like, what, so you can just have a C-section? And I was like, I mean, if you've if you've looked into it and you've got you know reasons for wanting a C-section, then it's your choice whether you have a C-section or not. And the, so few people were aware of that. My mum had no idea. She was like, "What? You can just have a C-section?" I was like, "Yeah, because I feel like I, that's what I need to do." Yeah, absolutely. You can you can always have the discussion. I will say a lot of trusts and everywhere slightly different. If there, for example, you had some special circumstances involved with the gestational diabetes mm. and the growth and, and talking about the inductions, um, and there are situations where perhaps there's no special circumstance involved, mm. where it may be that there's a real case of tocophobia, which is proper fear of childbirth, mm. um, really sort of like a fear that's stopping you from from sleeping and really quite a traumatic Mm. experience and in that situation often what will happen is women will be referred to speak to one of the amazing psychologists that they have attached to maternity services talk through what their options are and then a decision sometimes is made from the back of that Mm. it's a a funny old system because you know what it's like with the nhs and the the private with private obviously you can go in and ask what you know Mm. the world's your oyster you can ask whatever you want no questions asked really very often um with the nhs sometimes there are some little loops you have to jump through but like you say all of it's on the table for discussion absolutely yeah Yeah. and and I think in your situation even though you you know you had that day when when all of those doctors came in and had that conversation with you essentially you stood your ground you had your reasons for it you'd done your research and that was Mm. what happened in the end how was your recovery Emma it was actually really good I feel like I was really lucky like really lucky I mean the bruising was something Mm. else but I do I bruise like a peach but Mm -hmm. actually I was up on my feet maybe I mean I was I was up and about around the house sort of thing um albeit slowly um but we went for a walk on the he was born on the Wednesday and we went for a little walk down the road on the Sunday um and then we just did little walks you know every every day or so after that and I think within I think it was sort of four weeks might not even have been that but within sort of three four weeks I was doing the normal dog walk which is you know about 45 minutes each day and yeah it felt like I was pretty much back to I was still taking painkillers regularly Mm -hmm. I think that was my main thing you know because I'd really researched it I looked into anything that you can do to help recovery Mm. so I found you know I had stashed up on peppermint tea which I didn't end up needing but all sorts of you know people said I think the main thing that I took from it that I knew I had to make sure I was doing was that to keep on top of your painkillers like don't wait until that you know need them you know have them beforehand and and I did that for several weeks and but yeah no it was brilliant it was genuinely I I you know 
considering that everyone was surprised mm. when I said that I was pregnant because I was terrified of babies. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I was considering that I've now said like, oh, I would happily have a C-section again. Like that really says it was, it was great. Mm. It was lovely. And like the experience in the hospital was brilliant as well. Like everyone was just so lovely. I kind of wish that I'd stayed another day because, you know, you've just got people around you that know what they're doing. Because so I think mm. that was my main fear because I'd not really done any kind of, I, I signed up for one antenatal class and I went to I went to the first session out of about six and it just made me so it was it was all focused on like you know which I imagine for some people is really what they need but for me it was just it was too much talking it was talking about the birth and how to have it really positive and all this and it just made me so anxious that I went home and I was just like I can't even I can't sleep I, mm. I, I oh, oh. Yeah. and so I, I ended up even though I paid for all of them I didn't go to the rest of them um and so I you know considering that I, I don't really feel like by the time that Ollie was here I actually had a clue what I was doing um and so it was just nice being in the hospital and having so many people around you that that know what they're doing and you're not kind of left to fend for yourself you've got you can just push a button and someone will appear and help you yeah <laughs> like Becky said just a minute ago I think you've got to know yourself and what you're like and only you can know that your instinct your intuition and like you said for some people a lot of positive talk about birthing and preparation is the right thing to do and for others it feels like you you knew yourself mm. that actually that yeah. just made you even feel even more anxious Definitely. It's so personal, yeah. isn't it? You that, And this is why we often say to, to birthing people, you can't compare. You can't compare your birth no. or your postnatal journey because it's so tied up in mm. layers and layers upon layers of other stuff. You know, mm. what our anxieties are, what our triggers are, you know, all those things sort of add to it. What about postnatally in terms of support? So Alexis and I have been running a walk and talk support group and we've been absolutely blown away by the amount of people turning up because obviously there's no face-to-face hanging out and Mm. you know parenting is hard and we were never meant to parent in isolation you're supposed to have this tribe around you and supporting you while you rest and and obviously that's been very difficult to kind of put in place at the moment hasn't it this lockdown I have found the hardest out of the three Mm. I just you know people say don't they like oh it takes a village I don't have a village. No, I have no. a husband who's, who's amazing, to be fair to him. But, yeah. you know, it's it's not the same. You know, you need that. You just need people. And I think what makes it even worse is that, you know, I think something that's brilliant, which I'm really glad has changed since the first lockdown, is that you can have a bubble of any size. Well, not of any size, sorry, with a household of any size mm-hmm. if you've mm-hmm. got a child under one which I think is amazing. So because obviously we knew I was having a C-section, we then said, right, well, we'll have my mum as our bubble who lives with my stepdad and my stepsister. Um, but they live in Essex. So it's not like, you know, you can see them all the time. And it was, I'm glad that we chose them because we, you know, we've been able to go and stay with them um, for a bit of a break for like a longer break. And, you know, they, they've been able to come up here. So it's great. And my mum's fantastic. She said, you know, just let me know whenever you want me and I'll, I'll come up. That's fine. But it's, it does mean that you don't have that kind of regularity of, you know, mm. just being able to nip around to someone's house around the corner or have someone come around mm. and, and give you a hand for, you know, just so you can shower or you know, feel like a human for five minutes. Mm. <laughs> so that part's difficult. Um, and I think the other thing is that I don't really, I've got lots of friends with children, but most of them have got older children or older babies. So I've not, apart from the girl who lives next door to me, I've not got anybody that's in a similar kind of boat. Um, mm, yeah. So that part's really hard. 
Um, and especially because you're not really getting it, it, again, I don't, I've got nothing to compare it to, so I don't know what the norm is, but it does kind of feel like you're kind of just left to your own devices a lot. It doesn't feel like there's anyone kind of checking in uh, very regularly. And I, I don't know if that's the norm or not, but for me, I'm sort of like, am I doing this right? Do I need mm. to, you know, for example, he's had a rash on his face for ages. And I I think the health visitor is sick of me because I was ringing so often because I was just like, but he's still got this rash. He's still got this rash. And, uh, and she was like, no, it's completely normal. It's fine. And I was like, but but no one's, you haven't seen it. How do you know? It's just, you kind of doubt yourself and sort of think, yeah. oh, I don't know. I don't know what's normal and what's not. But actually, um, if you were going to kind of like mother's groups or coffee mornings, you'd probably see that three other babies also had that yeah. milk crash and you'd be like, oh, okay, fine. Do you know, it's that, it's that yeah. sort of seeing other, other parents doing the same thing or sharing stories. And it's all, that's so reassuring. So, that's how yeah. we learn really. Kind it, of. Ma- it makes me really sad that, essentially he's not really a newborn anymore and no one like none of my friends have experienced that with me like they've not you know you don't I don't have photos of my friends holding my tiny baby and you know and I feel really sad for Ollie Mm. I sort of think he's it was only when we went to go and visit a nursery a couple of weeks ago that he first saw a baby Mm. so and that's you know you just think he's nearly three months old and that's the only experience of another him that he's had I do sort of think god you know I don't want this to impact him later on in life because you know he's been but essentially he's just been with me and Chris all the time um Mm. occasionally you know my mum but apart from that we're kind of the only humans he sees we go out for a walk each day but he falls asleep in the bush chair which I'm not complaining, but you know, you sort of think he's he's not seen much of the world and he's not mm. been held by other people and you sort of think, Oh, I don't want to end up with a, you know, however far down the line with this really clingy baby that will only be held by me or Chris because that's all he knows and you know, you overthink things and you worry. Mm. Um which I think yeah. everyone does at, at the moment anyway. Definitely, but I definitely. think it's then just bigger yeah. I wish you lived near him or you could come to our walk and talk on a Wednesday <laughs> and actually this is something that keeps coming up and and a lot of the mums are saying we go we take um Becky and I take 12 parents and their little babies sort of up to nine months old I think it's probably the eldest in the group and they've sort of exchanged numbers and they've got whatsapp groups and one of the ladies was telling me last week they've started a tired mama's group <laughs> on a whatsapp they've all taken each other's numbers and they Aww. message each other at four in the morning and things like that Aww. and I think and, and it's right and it's and we were laughing because there's one very very cute and smiley seven month old that comes in in a sling with his mum and he just loves looking at everybody he doesn't so excited, he Becky doesn't he? <laughs> so she gets so excited by all the new faces Aww. and I think you know I don't want to underplay this because no it's not the normal world that babies wouldn't be seeing you know would only see two or three faces absolutely I get that but I do think we're getting closer and closer hopefully to some restrictions being you know taken taken away again and these and mums and dads and parents and babies get a chance to go out and see some more people and get back to a little bit of normality again yeah it makes the day feel so long Mm. yeah so long because you know he's getting to the age where he does need some kind of entertainment in between naps but there's nothing to do to enter you know and this is the time when you get to the point don't you where you're just like i can't play peekaboo no yeah and you know and, and you just sort of think 
you know, this is when I would go and go for a coffee with someone and, you know, somebody else can hold him for a bit and, you know, and it's that, it's all that extra stuff that you're missing out on and that he's missing out on um, Mm. that I just think, I think it just makes it, you know, it's like Groundhog Day. And the thought that you could have something little in the diary, like, you know, at three o'clock, I'm going to go over to my friend's house and have a cup of tea and our babies can just stare at each other for half an hour and we can just talk about what's going on in life and, you know, the good, the good and the bad, all of it really. But nobody's getting that at the moment because you're not even allowed to step into each other's houses. It's just, and that little, something that feels so simple has been whipped away and, and suddenly you realise, you know, it's that whole, that, that old adage of if you don't know what you got till it's gone sort of a thing. Yeah. How important that was for us to stay connected with each other and just feel like we had that little bubble of support around around ourselves. Yeah. One thing I do think though is that I almost think that this kind of lockdown mum is like a whole different breed. Mm. You know, I, I, I put something on Facebook the other day, like a picture of Ollie and I was like, oh, you know, you, you make my days you know, more, you know, more exciting and more horrendous in equal measures. And, you know, just like joking. And, and I I got a message from someone that I have not seen in years, probably, probably 10 years. And we weren't even, you know, we don't know each other that well. I was kind of friends with Mm. her brother when we were younger. And um, I got a message from her. She had her baby in the first lockdown and she was just like, I know this is so random, but I just wanted to message and say, I so related to your thing on Facebook and, you know, I hope you're okay. And I just Mm. thought that's, you know, that's so lovely. And I sort of think, I wonder if that would happen, you know, if this was normal, because I think you kind of have that understanding of Mm. how hard it is because it really is. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And obviously she found some sort of a connection there yeah. and and your honesty resonated massively with her. I think that's great think, that, that yeah. she reached out. Emma, finally, we always ask our lovely guests this question at the end of our episodes, which is if you could add a note and pop it inside a mother box heading out to a brand new mum with your best bit of advice on it, what would it be? Oh, I really don't know. I don't feel like I have any useful advice. I don't think I'm very, I don't think I'm very good at these do. sorts of things. Oh, I, I bet you do. Think about what you've been through, honestly. You know, And also uh, about you standing your ground and having yeah. the birth you wanted in the end. Oh yeah, well that massively. I mean, yeah. I just think you, you know what's going to be best for you at the end of the day. And, you know, I think that kind of mother instinct comes out and mm-hmm. you, you need to just go with it sometimes. And I think, you know, if that's to do with your birth, then great. I agree. Trust trust your instinct. Absolutely. And we always say that you like, you know, you get such a sense from from day one of of being pregnant, I think about what's right and what's going on with that little one. So I think trusting your instinct is key. And I would also say never underestimate the excitement of a two pound foil blanket because that save that has saved my sanity <laughs> put him on a foil blanket that is half an hour's entertainment he even, fe- he even fell asleep so do you know what if in doubt buy a two pound foil blanket and if it's not working for the baby just wrap yourself in it and roll around and rock in the corner my husband did a i don't know like a half marathon or something when our little ones were small and he bought one of those foil blankets back with him and he left it on the floor you know it's all crinkly and it's sort of and it kept them occupied for blooming hours over the years honestly we it's like the one thing that we type like i timetable in like oh i need to know when he needs a bottle when he's probably going to need to sleep when he's going to need to foil blanket time (laughs) Emma thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your birth story with us it's been absolutely brilliant to have a natter with you 
It's all right. (laughs) Thanks once again to the wonderful Emma Owen-Jones for joining us today and sharing her story with us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work we do, look out for our books, The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-be, where we talk further about birth, parenthood, relationships and much more. We've really enjoyed this episode. We're sure that you will have your own stories of your bubbers and their love for our partner this season, Sophie Le Giraffe, and we would love for you to share them with us. Send us your photos and your stories to our Instagram at Notes from the Mother Box, and don't forget to tag at Sophie Le Giraffe UK on Facebook and Instagram to share your pics with her too. Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest. See you next time on Notes from the Mother Box. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.